2: Welcome back to the Big Fight Preview on the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sean. Joined, as always, by Johnston for the first Big Fight Preview of 2023. Chris Eubank Jr. back in the ring against Liam Smith. A very interesting contest. A little bit of tension, to say the least, between these two fighters going into it. It's going to be an interesting fight indeed. There are some fights on the undercard that have got some good talking points with them so we're looking forward to talking about this first big fight of the weekend and before we do get into it of course we didn't get chance to do the Javonta Davis actor Luis Garcia fight of course Javonta Davis got that stoppage in that fight but this for us is primarily the big first fight of the year and it's a really good competitive domestic bout between two fighters that I've got a lot of heart and a lot of passion in Chris Eubank Jr. and Liam Smith. And Johnston, it's a fight that maybe we was not really anticipating happening for Chris Eubank because I wasn't sure, you know, we'd see someone like Liam Smith jumping up again in another weight from sort of super welterweight to middleweight, which automatically gives him that disadvantage, which we'll talk about. But it's a surprising fight for me personally, but it certainly makes up in some fashion for the disappointment of not seeing him fight Conor Ben.
0: Yeah, it was disappointed that didn't happen. Obviously, we know the reasons for that, which was very disappointing. Even more, I like the fight. I'll be honest with you. I know Liam, the smaller guy, physically, he's moving up in weight, whereas you got Eubank, who's moving down from super middleweight. So the advantages are with him this time. Whereas you know we, with that Conor Ben fight, obviously he it was again fighting a, a smaller guy. So maybe it's preparing him for the Ben fight come down sort of later, later on the end of the year, which I wouldn't be surprised about. I, I know he's sort of said he's not going to entertain it, but I would not be surprised if that's the way he goes after, is after Liam, if he gets if he gets the nod that is and gets the win, then I think he'd probably be looking at that Conor Ben fight at the end of the year. And yeah, that's that's the way I see it panning out. But I like it because I like Liam. I'm, I'm, I've always been a, a fan of his. I like the way he fights. He does everything very well. He doesn't do one thing brilliantly but he's a problem for Eubank and it's a puzzle that he's going to have to solve.
2: It's a great fight in the sense that it's going to be highly competitive and you know what you're going to get out of Liam Smith and you know what you're going to get out of Chris Eubank Jr. And I think the aggressive version of Liam Smith, which will come forward, is going to give problems for Eubank. And I think we know from previous Eubank fights that Sometimes he likes to engage, sometimes he likes to just box on the back foot and allow the pressure fighter to come towards him. It really will be a case of what tactics are adopted for this fight and I'm just interested to see how how it plays out because, like I said at the start, it's not a fight I expected to see. However, I'm pleasantly surprised with it and I think Liam Smith will certainly give Eubank a good run for his money in this fight and cause him some problems, as you rightly pointed out, that he needs to try and solve in the fight. Eubank hasn't fought for nearly a year since fighting Liam Williams last February. So this is his first fight in the past 12 months. Obviously, he was supposed to fight Conor Ben last year. That didn't happen. We all know what happened there. We all know what's going on at the moment. So Liam Smith, on the other side of things, has been active over the past 12 months. And in fact, since his defeat to... Kurbanov in Russia. He's actually gone on a pretty decent run. He's come back and beat Anthony Fowler in that domestic clash. Jesse Vargas last year. Hassan McQueenio last year. You know, and he stopped each one of them. So in the last three fights, he's he's got TKOs against all three of his opponents. So it shows that you know he will try to grind Eubank down in this fight, and he will try to push him all the way as much as he can. My concern for Liam, as we've already said, is. The difference in the weight and the attributes and the physical stature is, is it going to be a problem or can he make things work to his advantage? And you think about Liam Smith and his his previous outings when he's fought bigger guys. You think about the fact he was fighting Canelo Alvarez in 2016. Now, Canelo Alvarez at that point was at that limit he was fighting at that limit but we all know he was coming in about 15-20 pounds heavier on the night and then obviously he fights Jaime Munguia who's now naturally moved up to middleweight and he was a super welterweight and he's lost to them two guys and they're like two of the best guys around of course they are the other loss against Khabanov was questionable for many people some thought Liam Smith had won that fight but ultimately he didn't get the nod in Russia but what he's shown since he's come back from that defeat is that there's still life in in this Scouse old dog left and he is absolutely ready to put on a show and he's absolutely ready to put it on Chris Eubank Jr. There's obviously previous sparring sessions that they've had and you know how these sparring session talks go like I add you over, no I had you over and it's all back and forth and we're never going to truly know, really, who, who had who over in them sparring sessions, but from what it sounds like, they both feel and sound very confident in the build-up to this fight. So I am genuinely looking forward to it as the week is upon us. But what do you think about how this fight ultimately plays out? I mean, looking from both sides, Johnston, what has Liam Smith got to do to to negate them advantages that Eubank has? And then on the same question, what does Eubank have to do to beat Liam
0: Smith? Um, well, I think the size is a factor. I do believe that that's going to be, it's going to give Eubank the, the the advantage with Liam Smith. So A lot of people I've heard, I've been hearing say that Liam is a, a bit of a slow starter and he will gradually get himself into the fight and then end strong. See, for me, I, 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 I disagree with that and uh, the reason why I do is because Liam Smith is a guy that is at the same speed pretty much all the way throughout. I I don't think he he starts quick or he starts slow. I think he's a consistent fighter. He will approach the first round the same way he will pretty much approach the 12th. And that's one thing that Liam's got. He's got a great engine and he he will keep coming forward. And when he does get in those areas where he's able to get close enough to his opponent, he can he's he's got some trickery in there where he can find some different shots from different angles. His best Asset is getting in close and trying to work the body on on Chris and and, and throwing uppercuts, etc. He's got a high guard and he fights well behind it as well. You see many fighters when they've got that sort of that high guard up, they, they you know it's difficult to sh- sort of see what's going on in and around and what's coming. And I feel like he, he can feel his way w- with his distances and he, he's able to. That's where he just unloads his best work. I think that the difficulty is is can he sustain enough pressure on Eubank to the point where Eubank is there in front of him and he's able to hit him Um, and and I think a few years ago when Eubank was younger I think he 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 was very athletic I mean he still is but he was he threw a lot of shots Chris and he always came forward I, I actually feel that that Eubank against this Liam would have been a better fight I think what you've now got with Chris is he since we're sort of working with roy jones jr is he does look for the single shots at times and you see that with liam williams i mean he put him down with a jab so the the, the power was there and liam williams isn't the type of guy i mean he showed sheer grit and determination he's not the type of guy that just folds so that showed that eubank's got a power um but then look at morrison he didn't get rid of him there's aspects with on both but i think the general consensus is is that Eubank takes the beginning of these this this fight? And I think he probably gets himself into a, a lead in those first six rounds. And then he will, if he hasn't got rid of Liam, which I don't think he will, that's where Liam comes on strong. And that's where Liam's gonna f- do his best work. He's gonna find that space, he's gonna be able to land. And then can then Eubank keep himself away long enough in spells of the fight so he can nick those sort of rounds in the last six to then take a points decision that's pretty much the pattern in my head. And I think Liam, he's got to look at that Kerbinov fight and he's got to say, look, I can't make them same mistakes because there were moments in that fight where he could have put his foot down, he didn't do it. So hopefully he's learned from them mistakes if he can, and then he can keep putting the pressure on Eubank. I think he could cause an upset, but there are elements. I mean, I don't know what you, how you feel, Sean, but that's sort of my general feeling of how this fight is pretty much going to go.
2: I feel like it, it, it could be a case of Liam Smith could put the pressure on and and out-hustle Eubank Jr. over the course of the fight, over the 12-round distance. But then I also, part of me feels like maybe Chris Eubank Jr. could bide his time with Liam Smith and let Liam Smith work that engine that he has and let him work it and let him slow himself down as the fight goes on. Because no matter how much of an engine a fighter has eventually he's going to start to slow in the later round. So I could see it being a little bit different in the sense that I could see Liam Smith being the aggressor early on and trying to stamp his authority on Eubank Jr. And then Eubank Jr. just sort of being quite evasive, using a lot of footwork movement, using them sort of one-punch popping shots, just to kind of keep Liam Smith away but then I think as the middle to late round start to emerge, I think that's when he'll really come on strong and I think that's when he'll I think he's going to try and knock Liam Smith out. I genuinely feel he's going to go for a late stoppage against Liam Smith and and try and put some emphasis on this fight and and then obviously make whatever call out he wants to make and that's kind of how I'm picturing this in my mind which is obviously a little different from from you and and that's not a bad thing because it's just kind of of how I I kind of envision the fight to go down it could quite easily go the way you've said. I could also see it going that way. It's not out of the realms of possibility, but I think when I'm looking at this fight, I think everything you've said is, is is correct in what they've both got to do to win the fight. I just genuinely see it being Liam Smith. I know he's genuinely a slow starter, but I can envisage him being a little bit quicker in this fight, a little bit more pressurised in this fight earlier to try and gain a lead because maybe they'll Feel. His team will feel that the later rounds, maybe he will struggle with the, the weight advantage at that point. You don't know how that's going to affect their stamina levels. I mean, Eubank, he's got a phenomenal engine as well. He's got a phenomenal chin. And I can't see Liam Smith massively hurting him. I could see him hurting him, but I can't see him massively hurting him. I mean, Chris Eubank Jr. took big shots from great fighters over the years. And I can't see, with all due respect to Liam Smith, I can't see that being a problem for Chris Eubank Jr., But what I can see happening is is him being the slow starter on this occasion, and that Liam Smith trying to sort of work his way, trying to build up some sort of points lead, and then the second half of the fight sort of goes to Chris. And I I honestly think, in terms of me predicting this fight, there's there's two ways in which it goes. But for me, in them two ways, it's only going to be one winner, and I I feel like Chris Eubank Jr. will win the fight. But I don't know whether he'll. Have a late stoppage against Smith, or whether he'll go to points, and whether Smith will just grind it all the way to points. I struggle to see Smith winning, uh, and that's again no disrespect to him as a fighter. I think this is a step too far for him in terms of of weight classes, in terms of coming up against a guy who's naturally bigger, naturally stronger than himself. And when we've seen him fight guys like that before, i.e. the, the Alvarezes and the Munguias of the world, he's been stopped. Now I'm not suggesting. He'll be stopped by Eubank, but what I'm saying is that it's a possibility that he could get stopped late if he starts to run out of gas and exhaustion sets in and accumulation of punches come about, but I can ultimately see it going more of a Eubank decision way, and I think that's kind of what I'd put my money on if I was gambling on this fight. I think Eubank would take this over the 12-round distance.
0: Yeah, I can can see where you're going with that. I I mean, the, the... Weight advantage is is a clear thing. I think I think what Liam probably will try to do is in those early exchanges where he he may not he won't I don't think he'll take the first three rounds. I think he's going to look to see what is coming back at him and and whether he can actually feel Eubank's power. You know, personally, I you know he doesn't get hit clean too often. He he he's good enough to block shots with his with his high guard and tuck he tucks his elbows in nicely. I know he's got dumb of body shots with with Canelo and, and Hamim and Guia, and that's clearly got to be something that Eubank should be looking at as well, is to work that body. For me, Eubank doesn't throw as many shots as he used to, so he's going to be looking to throw that jab and whip that left hook in. And that left hook, to be fair, is, is a great shot. It's one that he's mastered pretty pretty well, it, that you can see the traits of of Change Jr. in it, can't you? When you when you look at previous videos, he's actually mastered that quite quite nicely. Not saying he's anything like James Jr. because he certainly isn't. But I don't believe Eubank is even at that world class level. I still feel that if he comes up against a better world class opposition, I think um he gets done. I pe- that's my personal opinion. I don't I don't believe that Eubank is an elite fighter. Many people will disagree with me. I, you know that's just my opinion and I think because Liam Smith is a guy who Again, he's not world level, but he will be a constant fawn in Eubank's side. So I, I honestly believe that, yeah, that Eubank takes that first sort of first few rounds, maybe six rounds. I think he might win it sort of 5 1 even. And then he has then breaks in between fights, Eubank, where he will do a bit of showboating. He will feel like he's in complete control. He, he takes his mind away from the fight, either that or he's, he's, he's sort of showboating in a way because actually he's feeling, feeling it a little bit. And Liam will put his, that's where he put his foot down and he'll go for it and he will have a right go at Chris. And it's just a matter of if he can whip them shots into the body with Eubank, that'd be interesting to see whether they can take effect because we know that Eubank's got a tough chin. So ideally, if, you, if you're if you in Liam's ear roll, you're telling him, work Eubank's body, slow him down. Let's see if he's got enough, at it over. so he's over 30 now, was he 33, 34? Let's see if those body shots can take some effect and take away his feet. If he can do that, then he's going to take away his head. And we all know what Eubank can get like when things aren't going his way. So if he can switch that and, and turn it where his corner isn't quite, he's not listening to his corner, he doesn't listen to him anyway, to be fair. But if he's just completely, have you know, he, he's having a hissy fit and throwing his toys out of his pram, then that's where Liam knows he's got him. That's when he's got to put the pressure on. And when he does have them gaps, Eubank, where he does take his time, does a bit of showboating, that's when you've got to step, step your foot on the gas and you've got to really go for it and, And take a few just to land a few. Because he won't like you when he's uncomfortable in there. That being said, your bait's clever enough and savvy enough and smart enough to keep his distance. I don't think he could do it for 12 rounds. With
1: threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse with family At LuckyLandSlots.com, available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: But I do believe it goes a distance, and I just feel that Eubank's going to have that much of a a, a lead that I I'm going to tip Eubank to win this on points, probably seven five, maybe yeah seven five. I'm going to go, and do you know what? You might even get a six six, but I think he's going to end seven five, Chris Eubank.
2: There you go, there's predictions, both of us think that Eubank's actually going to take this and the one thing I will say is like we talk about certain fighters not being at certain levels, we're forgetting that Liam Smith was obviously WBO super welterweight champion until he was dethroned and Chris Eubank Jr had the IBO at one point if I remember, I don't know if it was, yeah. I think it was super middleweight IBO or middleweight, I can't remember off the top of my head but he had the IBO but none of them have since really gone on to do anything more within the sport essentially and I think if anybody has underachieved it's probably Chris Eubank Jr. I think, if anything, Liam Smith might be argued that he, he overachieved. Is is that a harsh statement to make? I think he's a quality fighter, but I don't think he's as good as all those guys in that super welterweight division that I'm around him. You know, the, the Fundoras of the world, the Jarrett Herds of the world, the Charlos of the world. I just don't think he's, he's good enough to, to dethrone any of them at that top level. Although he's got the potential to give them good fights, I can't see it. So it's not that we don't think... They are world class fighters essentially. I just don't think they're at that point in this current crop of fighters where they could beat those guys. That being said, anything can happen in boxing and, and things could be completely shoved down our throat and we could be sat here going, Oh my god, Liam Smith did something incredible there and it would be amazing from a British fighter it'd fan's perspective, big wouldn't, it? Win
0: for him, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah it be... would be a massive win for Liam if he could get it and he's gonna be up for it, Sean. And I do feel that if there was anyone he could possibly beat, it probably is Chris Eubank because if he can get in, a, get him into a situation where he does feel uncomfortable in that fight, Chris Eubank at times can throw his toys out of his pram and he can act like a bit of a prick and that could effectively win him, lose him the fight and, and allow Liam in. But it'd be a huge coup because although people are calling it a 50-50, I think majority of us are leaning towards Eubank because we feel Eubank probably just has that little bit more class.
2: So let's move on then Johnson from talking about the main fight and look at some of the undercard supporting fights on this bill at the Manchester Arena. Echo assuming versus Chris Congo. British welterweight, Commonwealth welterweight, IBF, European welterweight, WBC International, Silver welterweight <laughs> titles here up for grabs. The one the ones that are most important, I think, for me are the British and the Commonwealth uh, for for here against Congo, whose only defeat came against Michael McKinson. Uh He's a fighter I've been watching for about six years now. I think since I started getting involved in boxing media, I noticed assuming on the small hall shows. I followed him. I know the guys that I was working with at ESBR Boxing were going to the shows that he were on and covering them and interviewing him and you know he, he seems like an all around nice guy. But he's now at the point of his career. He's going into his nineteenth fight. He's got obviously the British and the Commonwealth and this IBF European welterweight title. I think really, you know, you look at the domestic opposition around and you look at who he's already fought in his career. Chris Congo is somebody he hasn't fought yet and I think it's a good fight for him this weekend but if he gets the win against Congo which is going to be no easy feat I think the next possible step for him would be fighting McKinson and that would be a great domestic fight in the welterweight division I think that would be for me the the fight for assuming to project him into the big time because I think McKinson's showing against Ortiz Jr. I think, shown that, you know, he's a pretty good fighter and he can be at world level. And I think for someone like Asuman who's got that aspiration to be there, you need to beat the best guys around you. And when we talk about certain fighters not beating the best guys around him in the UK, I think Asuman's well on his way to doing it. But he's got no easy task against Chris Congo. As I said, his only defeat against Michael McKinson. He's since bounced back with two victories. Uh, and he's looking to upset the uh, Asuman Applecart here because... It's a big win for him if he gets it. It's a he takes the the projection that assuming's going on and he steals it and he takes it for himself essentially and he puts himself in the position where he could be looking at a McKinson rematch or an even bigger fight following that. You know, there's no saying that Conor Ben, even though he's now not officially suspended by anybody as such, as in like the WBC have said that in the past 24 hours, there's a possibility that you know someone like a Chris Congo could end up being. I get an opposition for O'Connor Ben. So we'll see where this fight takes us. But when I'm looking at the fight and I'm thinking, you know, who's going to win it? My money goes in assuming because he's undefeated. He's shown and adapted to every single fighter he's been in the ring with. He's fought some great level of opposition. Congo has as well. But when he's stepped up against the best of the welterweight division domestically, he's been beaten. So for me, that, that leads me to believe that his style that assuming's got that, can overturn and overcome a guy like Chris Congo, who is, is not an easy fighter to fight, but I think McKinton's put the blueprint in place to beat him now, and I think Asuman will follow that and beat him, but I think it's a good chief supporting fight for me, I'm, I'm looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, same here, I, I like the fight because they are at points in their career where they're quite high up in their rankings on the British domestic scene, and the winner can then go on to fight like a McKinson or even like a Connie Ben if when he does return. Who knows for maybe his return fight if it's not going to be against Eubank. But I like the fight because um, I, I do like assuming as well. I mean, the, the the trouble is with me, you know, Congo is a, he's a Burmese boy. So I, I automatically going to warm to him. I want him to do well because he's, you know, he's from my neck of the woods locally in, in that terms. I don't think he's good enough. I think McKinson showed that you can outbox him and i think assuming will do the same thing i think he will outbox him like he has done in his previous opponents and he will you know the, the, the mckinson blueprint as you just suggested sean is perfect to be for him to go back and have a look on and assuming he's not a huge puncher he can take a few but he can box and so, you know the boxer tends to beat the brawler not that congo is a complete brawler but he he has got a I just don't think he's going to throw enough. I think I think assuming wins the fight on just volume of punches. And uh, that's that's how I, th- I can see it going, assuming winning this fight quite comfortably, to be honest with you. I mean, no disrespect to Congo. I think he can get the win, but I don't think he will. Your, your best bet, guys.
2: I think one of the strangest fights on this card for me is the return of Joseph Parker. And his opponent is Jack Massey, the cruiserweight contender domestically, who he obviously sits like number two, number three, In the domestic scene, not even essentially on the world team, although he's got the IBO Cruiserweight Championship, you know, can't be remiss without mentioning that, of course, but he's moving up to heavyweight to take an opportunity to fight Joseph Parker, and I found that a really strange fight. I just didn't really understand what the concept behind it was, because... If you're a Joseph Parker at this stage of your career, you've just lost your last fight against Joe Joyce. Surely, you're going to want to bounce back against someone in your own division, naturally, against somebody who's a top 15, top 20 guy, and show that you've still got that ambition left. And obviously, for someone like a Jack Massey, it's a strange fight, but he's taking, in my eyes, what is an opportunity for him to derail a guy like Joseph Parker and that then puts Jack Massey on the map with a big win doesn't it and it puts him in in contention to maybe get a big fight up a heavyweight he's not campaigned at heavyweight in his professional career today and I think that's the important thing to mention here is can he carry up his attributes to the heavyweight division because it's a whole different ball game you're fighting guys that have got much bigger punches in the heavyweight division are stronger physically and he could get hurt in this fight. And that's my concern. Yeah. Like, knowing Jack and having interviewed Jack on numerous occasions, and actually doing one of the very first BTR boxing podcasts with Jack as an interview way back in sort of 2017, 2018, I don't want the guy to get hurt. I, I want to see him, you know, get an opportunity. It's a strange fight, but ultimately, I can only see this fight going one way. And the more experienced former world heavyweight champion in Joseph Parker holds all the cards here but Jack Massey can punch and that's what goes in his favour. If he catches Joseph Parker cold and now Joseph Parker's been stopped and he's been knocked down and we've seen him hurt now a few times, is there an opportunity there for Jack Massey to exploit that and potentially hurt him and potentially get the win here? All things point to a a Joseph Parker great comeback win, possible great stoppage win for him, but you just can't be... Too careful with this sport because these things can happen.
0: It's it's a statement, isn't it, from Massey? I mean, he, he's come out and said he's going to be like Rocky, or he, he, he's he's going to he's identified it is going to be like Rocky Balboa in there, the complete underdog to go in and uh, and deal with Parker. It's a huge risk, and no doubt Massey, he, he you know he's been in the ring with Ryakpo. He lost to Ryakpo on points. Ryakpo a big puncher. There's no doubt he will be a heavyweight at some point in his career because he's such a big fella. He probably struggles to boil himself down to cruise rates. He's probably looked to that and thought, well, if I can take a React or a whack, then I can take a Parker one. It's As you say, it's a different ballgame. Uh, those extra sort of 10, 15, 20 pounds make a huge difference. They've been playing this without playing the sport. They've been fighting other guys of the same weight at heavyweight. And they've, they've been taking, you know, look at the, the Wacks that Parker took from Joyce. Can Massey put a dent in Parker? I didn't think Parker was going to get knocked out. He did. Maybe he's looking at that as an opportunity where he's thinking, well, if, if Parker's now been done, maybe he's been softened up a little bit and I can get rid of him. But I do feel that Parker's just going to eventually wear him down and, and I think the power will, will come through in the end and, and Massey will eventually get stopped. Hopefully the corner are on their game and on their toes with this, because uh, you say you don't want anyone to get hurt. So if he, if they do see that he's in some sort of trouble, they pull him out as quick as they can and not, you don't want to see a guy get rendered on the canvas and they have to scoop him off it. So hopefully that isn't the case for Massey. And um, hopefully he can, he can, he can produce some decent, a decent performance and, and take Parker the distance. I think that enough that there would suggest to us that, wow, he's done a great job. Just don't get knocked out, Massey. I think Parker will get there in the end now. I can see that happening sort of mid to late rounds.
2: So, another fight, another fighter you mentioned that is on this card is Richard Riakpour, and he's fighting the former champion, former Lawrence Okoli victim, and Christoph Glowacki, who's 32 and 3. This is a fight that I'm okay with with Richard Riyakpoh's career. I mean, we've talked about Riyakpoh. We've talked about him needing to push to that world level now. He's beating all the domestic guys around him. He got a really good victory in his his last fight, in the second round in 2022. And now he he needs a, a win against another name. And I think... You know, you look at who he's beaten. He's beaten all you know, the best of what the Cruiserweights have to offer, barring, of course, Lawrence Okolai. He's beaten Tommy McCarthy, Chris Billum-Smith, who's on a great role since he lost to Richard Riakpoor. Jack Massey, he's beaten Jack, of course. We are talking about Jack just a minute ago. Dion Juma, a fellow undefeated fighter. And then Fabio Turchi in his last fight. He's fighting Christoph Kluacki now, who obviously we've seen get rendered by Lawrence Okolai when he came and fought Lawrence Okolai, and it was for the WBO vacant title in the cruiserweight division. This is now, you know, an opportunity to react poor to say, well, look, anything you can do, I can do better. Do you know? And that that's the, the perfect yeah. opportunity I would be looking at now. Like, we've said he needs a fighter from, from sort of the world level. And, you know, admittedly, Kloaki isn't at his best anymore. And he isn't the the, the force that he once was. I mean, in back-to-back fights, he lost to Brady's and then he lost to Coli after not being in the ring for two years. So... He's got one victory since losing to Akhile last year. Is that enough to sort of say he's gonna provide that level of threat to Reactor at this stage of his career? I think he's. I think he's a dangerous fighter. He's still a dangerous fighter. You can't completely discount him. But he's no Kiko Martinez. He's no Kiko no. Martinez who can come back and and still mix it with the young guys of the division and beat the younger guys in the division. I think this is a Reactor fight where. It will be him trying to make a statement to show the other guys around at world level that I'm ready for you. You know, the Jaior Patayas of the world, the Marius Brady's of the world, the Akolai's of the world. He isn't going to stick around for too long in Cruiserweight division. He's being forced to fight David Light in the Cruiserweight division, defending his title. So how long is Akolai going to be around? Is he going to defend it and then go for the Brady's fight? Is that ever going to happen? Will Akolai then move up? And it presents that opportunity For Richard Riaqpour, there's so many endless possibilities here with what will happen, but I think with this fight in particular, it is a way to showcase Richard Riaqpour is good enough to fight other world-level fighters if he gets a good win against Kloaki. And I do ultimately think he does get the win against him without being disrespectful. I think Kloaki's past his best. He isn't a force anymore. He could hurt Reactor, but I think reactor has got way too much in his locker at this stage of his career for him. So, Reactor win for me, Johnston.
0: I can't see it any other way. The only thing I don't want to see from Richard is to go in there and start sort of throwing big shots, trying to get rid of him quicker than Akoli did just because he wants to make a statement he needs to just take his time and let that knockout come to him I think eventually it will do he just needs to bide his time don't rush anything and, and make the statement that way if, if you don't get the knockout before six don't worry about it if you get it sort of in nine or ten fine if you get it early fantastic but just be patient make yourself nice and loose take your time and is there for the taking with any shot, really. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm from react Poor, that lands heavy. It's going to cause him some trouble. Gornaki's surely just going to be there to just get some rounds in the bank and earn some money. I don't think he's going to be there for anything else. So, yeah, react Poor knockout. I, I think he probably might just about do it and get it done a little bit earlier than Lawrence, but if not, roughly around the same time, anything six to eight rounds for me, for react Poor to finally put the nail in the, the, the Polish guy's coffin. Um, yeah, and then he needs to move on. He just needs to just get a big shot. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, he's waiting around and you got these governing bodies that are telling nakoli to fight David Light. And I mean, a bollocks fight, really. No disrespect to David Light, but it's not the fight we want to be seeing. We'd rather see him in the ring against uh, Tire or, or or against um, even Billam Smith, who's already, you know, Billam Smith or Riappol. I know Billem Smith has lost to Riappol, but, you know, any one of those fights would definitely... Be more entertaining than uh, than David Light, but uh, it's what it is. You just gonna have to just bide his time and wait for his opportunity. And when it when it presents itself, make sure you take it with both hands.
2: The final talking point for this big fight preview really is about Fraser Clark being on this card again. And you know Fraser's made no quarrels about like what he wants to do in his career. He certainly made it clear. What he wants to do in his boxing career and he needs a step up in level of opposition and he isn't getting it on this card against Kevin Nicholas Espindola who's seven, six, and zero. Oh. I don't know whether this is just because this is the fight date they've got for him and it's the only opponent they can get for him. Is it a case of that? Because I, I I've yeah. got a feeling it I got a feeling it is, and it isn't him sort of choosing these opponent. He's you know they've got a matchmaker making these fights for him, and this matchmaker's saying, right, well we can't get anybody else who's going to come over here and and be like a lamb to the slaughter, essentially. And Kevin Espinola, bless him, he's the one that seems to be coming over and taking on the challenge, but. You know, looking at Fraser Clark's career, now this is his fifth professional fight, and, you know, you look at his age, he's, he's he's got to go forward now with his career. He's got to really push his career. I mean, he got a good win against Camille Sokolowski in his last fight, but when I say good, it was quite a laboured victory for him. He couldn't get the pole out of there, uh, who arguably was a, a tough test for him, and I knew it would be a tough test for him, but he, he needs to be stepping up, and he needs to be stepping up soon, I think. I think you look at a fellow... Olympian in Joe Joyce and look at the way his and I compared these two before the last time I spoke about Fraser make the comparison between the two careers Joyce started late as well the same as Fraser Clark from coming off the back of the 2016 Olympics and in what six years he's put himself in prime position now to be fighting the big boys of a division Fraser Clark now I think he needs to do it within the next two to three years rather than six years to be ready and with the likes of people like Joshua eventually moving on. People like Fury eventually moving on. I think by the time Fraser Clark's ready for, for that shot of the big time, these guys will be probably retired or right at the end of their careers in boxing. So that would be the opportune time for him to you know, to have a great fight. And maybe even Joyce will. I mean, maybe even Joyce will be at yeah. that point as well. But well, I don't know. But I think if I'm Fraser Clark, I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't want these fights because he's making it quite evident he does. But they're not giving the fights to him. And I don't know whether that's just... They're trying to nurture him. They're trying to marinate him, get a bit more build up on his career and his profile before then they throw him in. And there's an opportunity that he could get beat. Is it just a case of you know like a Frank Warren job where like Frank used to marinate the fighters and he'd put him in against all these guys, get him a padded record, and then you know some of them would go on to do great things. Some of them would get found out. and And I don't know whether it's a case of they're trying to nurture that out of Fraser Clark and get what they can out of him. They throw him in and there's a good chance he could get beat off someone that's more experienced and better than himself. I don't know. I I mean, I'm making theories, I'm making speculation about it. I just want to see him moved on, and I want to see him moved on relatively quick. Fabio Wardley's another person I can make the comparison to. Very limited, limited amateur background, and he's completely learning on the job, but yet look at him british heavyweight champion there's the comparison yeah. you've got a guy at five going into potentially five and zero this weekend he's got all amateur experience a guy who's now what 14 15 and oh with limited amateur experience and he's just beating everyone put in front of him fraser needs that push the way wardley's had that push and i think that's what he needs to move his career on i expect a victory for him i expect a win i expect a ko but i hope he calls out the fact that he wants better fights after
0: it i think he does so and I do. I believe the team are probably trying as hard as they can to get him a fight. Looking at his amateur background, he's a you know long-standing in the amateur game, and and it was great amateur pedigree. And sometimes that can put professionals off because they know that he's already at a level. I know it's different in the pro games, but he does need to. You know, like Joyce, he stepped up pretty much straight away fighting names that we all could identify with. Unfortunately, Fraser's not had that. Maybe because of that, and others have looked at the Joyce blueprint and thought, well, actually, look what Joyce has done to these guys. I ain't going nowhere near Fraser. And then, you know, look at the comparison where you add Waldley. talking about Waldley, who beat Nathan Gorman. And if one of them get, if, say, for instance, they suggest the Fraser Clark to Fabio Waldley's team, not suggesting that Fabio would say no, but they would probably say, well, he's, you know, he needs to win a few more fights to get to our position. And then you look at the other side with Nathan Gorman. Nathan Gorman's really like, I've just on the back end of a defeat to Wardley. Why on earth would I step in a ring with Fraser Clark? And I think that's, that's the problem for him, is he's not getting those big fights because it doesn't make sense for some of them. He needs to force himself into a position where he's become a where the British Boxing Board of Control are sort of saying, look, do you know what, you need to fight for the British heavyweight title and see whether Fabio Woodley still got it. And and that's the way, best way of doing it. Just force himself into a position where he's one of the number one contenders in a, in a certain, whether it be the, with British title or whether it be a European or a Commonwealth title. And then from there, he can then go on, I think. Um, because he will improve his rankings in the world rankings and eventually get himself some big names because he forces people into corners. That's the only way he can do it, Sean. Unfortunately, he's just going to have to keep knocking these guys out in a minute.
2: So, just to sort of bring an end to the show there is a couple of fighters that are fighting this weekend that I wanted to mention before we do our final housekeeping things for the episode Eric Tyler Tucker former guest on Ones to Watch is fighting looking to go 8-0 this weekend in America Antonio Tarver Jr is fighting this weekend Bermaine Stiverne is fighting this weekend on a Don King card yes you heard that right 91 year old Don King is promoting a show in Miami this coming weekend as well I think that's something definitely to, to mention now and you mentioned sean hemphill as well to me he's also fighting this weekend as well so there's there's, yep. there's quite a few fighters that you may recognize if you follow the sport so avidly especially on the american side of things but for us this weekend it is all about eubank versus smith and we're very excited for it. it's the first big fight preview of the year first big fight for us of the year but if you are looking for other content from ourselves The Darker Side of Boxing. Season 3 has just launched this week as we're recording this. The first episode, The Pride of Spanish Harlem, Hector Macho Camacho is now available to listen to. The after show with Luki from ITR Boxing is also there and that will be available as well as the next nine episodes following that. So please, if you've not checked out The Dark Side of Boxing, please go and check it out. It does have its own feed or you can find it on this main feed as well. But the after shows do go on The Dark Side of Boxing feed, so please if you want all of the dark side of boxing content please head over to that and subscribe to it on any available podcasting app but for us at the BTR boxing podcast please make sure you do tweet us you do send us messages you do let us know what you think of the episodes and you share them across social media because it really truly helps and that's it for the big fight preview thank you so much as always for listening and we will see you next time
0: it. how do you like it wish i was 50 years younger and i'd kick your ass it's over he's done it
1: anthony joshua defeats vladimir klesko uh, let's get ready to rumble sports social podcast network